Good morning and happy Memorial Day. This is Father John and you're with the Hope on the Way podcast. Some of you who are watching this on Spotify will be able to see the whole thing. Others listening on like Apple or Radio Public are only going to hear the audio version and we are going to be referring to some slides today. I'm here with my very good friend and fellow priest, Father Dave Hess. Both Dave and I are priests in the communion of evangelical Episcopal churches, and I'll let Father Dave introduce himself for you. Yeah, um, thanks, uh, Bishop John. I um, I joined the communion back in actually 1999 when I was uh, ordained to the priesthood and sent out to the Middle East as a missionary priest where my wife and I um, were for 30 years, a little over 30 years. Um, we were overseas. Um, I was ordained in 1999, but we first went out in 1992. So anyway, we were overseas for 30 years and um, involved in church planting evangelism in the Arab world. So um, now we're back based in the United States. But um, I just uh, have two kids, uh, a daughter who was married on Saturday, Emily, and my son, Joseph, um, who lives here locally. He's, um, well, 25 and 27. So anyway, that's enough about me. And Father Dave is fluent in Arabic. And he also has a podcast. And the name of that podcast is? Joel 2 Generation. And uh, it's on Potomatic. Automatic number two, two generation. Yes. Okay, we're going to go right into it here. We're going to pull up some PowerPoint slides and we are going to get into our topic discussion today, which is probing preterism. Probing preterism. Forgive me for that little bit of alliteration there, but I thought that would be kind of engaging. Some of you may be very familiar with preterism, and that's what drew you to this podcast. Others of you who are regular listeners to this podcast may have no idea what that term means, and we're going to explain all of it to you very quickly here. But preterism has to do with a certain view of biblical prophecy. So let's jump into it. We're looking at a slide that says defining terms relating to biblical prophecy. And the definition of biblical prophecy itself is what the authors of sacred scripture foretold about future events pertaining to the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ. So biblical prophecy is the prophecies about the future that are in sacred scripture. So when you hear the term biblical prophecy, that is what it is referring to. And on our next slide here, we're seeing the word eschatology. It comes from the Greek word eschaton, which means the end or the last things. And eschatology is a fancy theological word that refers to the doctrine of the last things. So... In the various streams and branches and theological traditions of the church, some newer, some older, is that 
everyone has an eschatological perspective on the last things, on biblical prophecy itself. However, early Christians were able to agree on what I would call a creedal eschatology, an eschatology that everyone could embrace, no matter what their particular nuance of belief about biblical prophecy was. And the first one I want to mention here is the Nicene Creed, written um, from 325 to 381. And the Creed says that he, Jesus, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And the Apostles' Creed, written uh, developed between the third and seventh century says that he will, he, Jesus, will come to judge the living and the dead. And so if you are a historical Orthodox Christian, and when I mean Orthodox, I mean biblically Orthodox Christian, is that this is something, <clears throat> excuse me, that you would accept that Jesus is going to come again visibly and in glory to consummate his kingdom and judge the living and the dead, and then his kingdom will have no end. And for those of you who aren't watching on Spotify or listening on a different podcast host, we're moving on to our next slide. And this is three approaches to events foretold in biblical prophecy. And Father Dave himself made this slide, so I'm going to let him introduce it and briefly talk about it with us. Yeah, so, you know, a little bit about my background. Growing up in Southern California and really coming to faith in Christ here, um, really around, very close to the original um, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, there was a view of biblical prophecy, which was, you know, by far the most dominant view in this area, which was, you know, this, uh, a view that, was very, very particular. We might get into some of those details, um, but I'd never heard of preterism. Um, and um, where I first heard of preterism is there were some guys on the radio that had been Calvary Chapel guys, and they had a, a podcast called Beyond the End Times. And they were the first guys I'd ever heard that were talking about this view called preterism. What, but basically, the, the, the preterist viewpoint, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll differentiate between two types of preterists, but the preterist viewpoint would say that most of what we call the biblical prophecy, and, and just think of Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse is probably the most detailed section of scripture, um, that all a preterist would say that the things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 were fulfilled in the first century. Now, obviously, when the authors of Scripture were writing, everything would have been yet future. But what the preterist believes today is that when you read Matthew 24, when you read the book of Revelation, um, almost everything, and I say almost everything, and I'll, and I'll clarify in a second, was fulfilled in AD in the first century, the the 100s. Um, and so I think 
Um, yeah, I think these guys that had this radio program beyond the end times, um, it was my introduction to it. Um, but we, what we're seeing today is that there are, there's a growing trend. Um, and I would say that this would be true in, in reformed evangelical circles, but also true in um, kind of neo-charismatic circles, um, in apostolic prophetic fivefold ministry circles, where more and more people are embracing this view to say, hey, we, we don't have uh, future tribulation coming. There's no, there's not going to be a coming future antichrist. All those things were fulfilled in the first century, mostly around the the events that happened around AD seventy, when when the temple was destroyed, and um, the armies, the Roman armies, um, basically overran Jerusalem in in AD seventy. So um, I, I've mentioned here a couple of people that a couple of books that are very, very influential these days. R.C. Sproul wrote a book called The Last Days According to Jesus. Of course, he's, uh, you know, in the Presbyterian Reformed camp. He's gone to be with the Lord. And then um, in the charismatic world, the, the book that has really been influential um, most recently is this book by a guy named Harold Eberly called A Victorious Eschatology, A Partial preterist view. Now, let me just say this about preterism. There is what's called full preterism, and then there's something that's called partial preterism. A full preterist yeah. would say that everything in Matthew 24 was fulfilled in AD 70. You know, Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all these things come to pass in Matthew 24. And so, a full preterist would say that Jesus returned in AD 70 or around that time, and that we literally are living now in the new heavens and the new earth, that all of Revelation was fulfilled in AD 70, and there's nothing yet future. We are living beyond the end times, is a full, I would say, consistent preterist view now. The reason that full preterism is considered unorthodox is because, as Bishop John, you know, as you were just sharing, both of the main early Christian creeds have this line in it that Jesus will come again in, in glory to judge the living and the dead. And if you're a full preterist, you don't believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. He already came. To judge the living and the dead, and we are living. I, I mean, I it's 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 that viewpoint that called full preterism, which we can say based on creedal Christianity is not orthodox. All of the people that I know, um, be it Archie Sproul or Harold Eberly, um, and the people I, I mentioned another one here, Johnny Enlow, um, a, a very well-known prophetic voice uh, today. Um, they all would be what is called partial preterists, and they believe that actually almost everything in Matthew 24 was fulfilled in the first century, but Jesus, his return, his second coming is yet future, and um, the new heavens and the new earth are yet future, and so 
that is the view that we will be talking mostly about today is what we would call partial preterism. And the other, yeah, and go ahead. Father Dave and I were talking before we hit the record button that a partial preterism is kind of a buffet where depending on the person that they may take their partial preterism and say, oh, I... I really like the roast beef. I'm going to put that on. That's been fulfilled. So again, partial preterism, no antichrist, no tribulation period. All that we're really waiting for now is the return of Jesus Christ and power and glory. Now, just for the sake of time, uh, let's yep. continue to move on to the historicist and the view I think that uh, is more common among charismatics and evangelicals and futurist view. So take us into the yeah. the historicist view. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that that all of these views have some strengths and you know they have some biblical um you know obviously they have biblical reasons why people embrace them. And um I would just say this in ending about preterism, this generation will not pass away. All of the language these things will soon pass, you know, um, all that language of imminent fulfillment, um, the preterists look at and say, hey, when Jesus said this, he meant it. And, and anyway, so that there, there is a, there is some language in the New Testament that, you know, preterists really can stand on. All right, let's move to the historicist position. So a historicist, rather than saying that the biblical prophecies were all fulfilled in the past, you know, in the first century, they would say that these prophecies are being fulfilled throughout church history. So, yes, they were being fulfilled in the first century. That, that let's just take the Antichrist figure of preterism would be the Emperor Nero, um, who, you know, persecuted the church in the AD 60s, leading up to the time that Jerusalem fell in AD 70. So, was he a type of antichrist? Um, absolutely, he was very anti-Christian, right? But you know, there was the there was the Domitian, um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, persecution in the third century, where there was a a target on Christians. Was he a type of antichrist? Absolutely. What what about what about the Diocletian persecution in the fourth century for ten years? You know, Christians were 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 open. You know, it was open game season on Christians to kill them, to to persecute them in the fourth century. But then we just keep going on and on. And you look at throughout church history, was not the Islamic prophet Muhammad and his descendants probably the greatest persecutors of Christians, arguably throughout the history of the church. More people have died at the hands of fanatical Islamic leaders and or, um, you know, Muslims than any other by far, you know, but then we, you know, um, you go in, historicists would look into, you know, would look at the French Revolution, um, you know, and they would look at the First World War, or they would look at the Second World War, you could look at people like Stalin and Mao and Hitler, all of these people, um, radical persecutors of the church, and clearly um, very anti-Christ characters, right? And so 
this was a dominant view um, throughout much of church history, and it was the view that the the Protestant reformers. I don't list Calvin here because it's not clear where Calvin uh, um, fit in this, but Luther, uh, Zwingli, John Wycliffe, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist, um, you know, uh, British Baptist of, of the 1800s, 19th century. These guys were all historicists. And then the third view, which is the view that I grew up on and was the most familiar with as a new Christian, and I would say is continues to be the dominant view of most Baptists today, um, most Pentecostals. Again, the Calvary Chapel um, movement um, is all futurist, um, believing that these end-time prophecies um, in, in, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, the book of Revelation, are yet future, coming at some point in the future. This would be, if we go back into the book of Daniel, this would be, um, you know, what happens in the 70th week of Daniel, you know, that we fulfilled the 69th week, and then when the 70th week comes, um, whenever that will be, that would be yet future. And what was interesting to me in just in my own journey is that what I discovered when I started to read the early church writings is that all of them um, had a futurist bent and their understanding of the end time prophecies being fulfilled. So as they were writing, as they were talking, um, they were always mentioning that these things were coming. So they had not been fulfilled. And I'm talking about, you You read you read the writers that wrote at the end of the first century, guys like Papias and, and, and Clement. Um, you, go into, you go into the second century, you get into the third and even the fourth century and all of the early Christian writers that were commenting on the, these passages were saying they were yet future. Um, and I would say, too, that um, if one would just crack open a new advent, which is the Catholic, an old, older version of a, of a Catholic uh, encyclopedia, uh, you would see that uh, much of the Catholic eschatology that is in the new advent is also very futuristic in terms of believing in a literal uh tribulation period, maybe not seven exact years, but a time of tribulation and the rise of an antichrist. So when we think about preterism, it's the view that all of the events, or most of them, that were prophesied by the authors of scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and certainly by the end of 120, 130, where yep. um, um, another Roman purge came into uh, the the land of Israel. Some, I would say this too, Bishop John, is that there are some that would that would extend that to the fall of Rome in in 410 A.D. So some would actually extend that period out of this fulfillment um, to the fall of Rome. Uh, in AD 410. I, I don't know of any authors in particular. I just know that people that are 
characterizing preterism would say, you know, mostly 70 AD. Um, maybe those that know a little bit more of the details would look at the 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 three Jewish Roman wars that culminated in like 130, 135 AD. Um, that would be um that would be a, a maybe a a a large percentage of preterists, and then some would extend it out to the fall or of of the Roman Empire All in, right. in the fifth century. Anyway, so now now that our listeners have a good idea what preterism is, and that it is, it seems to be a popular current among young evangelicals and young neo neo meaning new new charismatics. Um, and you we just mentioned that the early church the apostolic church that was founded by Christ and the apostles believed that the future events of biblical prophecy had not been fulfilled yet. And they were writing beyond 70 AD that they were to be fulfilled in the future. And I think more now than ever, it's important that younger believers whether you consider yourself a neo-charismatic, whether you consider yourself a young evangelical, whether even if you're in the reformed young evangelical movement, why is it more important, Father Dave, than ever to know what the early church believed and taught? You know, I I, I think I think this goes to this question of, you know, how do we interpret scripture, right? And, you know, as Protestant evangelicals, you know, it what you know basically the, the line goes, whatever you can support biblically is is okay. Um, so if you can, you know, find a few verses or find a, a a system that supports what you believe, and 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 you can, you know, you can um justify that biblically, then it's a legitimate um interpretation. It's a legitimate hermeneutic. Um and I, I think that that it, obviously we realize that is such a slippery slope because I know people that justify anything and everything and they have verses to justify what they believe. And I, I think the real issue for me is um, were the, you know, let, let's just take Matthew chapter 24. If those events that Jesus was speaking about were all fulfilled in AD 70, then clearly the earliest Christians would have all understood that. I mean, we have the writings of personal disciples of the apostle John, you know, John the Revelator, who wrote the book of Revelation. We have writings from his earliest, or from personal disciples. And I'm thinking of, in particular of Papias, Ignatius, and Polycarp, right? We have their writings. Now, not only do we have some of their writings, but the early church writers just go into the second and third century. They would have had all five of Papias's works. We don't have any of Papias's works extant today, but they did. Papias wrote, we know from later church history that he wrote five treatises. Okay, so the second century fathers, Irenaeus, he would have had all of Papias's works, right? Uh, we don't have those today. They don't exist. I mean, they didn't, you know, they we have quotations or people quoting Papias. And so if these guys, 
if if all of those events were fulfilled or most of them were fulfilled in 70 ADs, 70 AD, sorry, clearly the earliest Christians would have gotten that memo because we're only talking about 20, 30, 40 years after the events of 70 AD, they would have known those things. And yet every single writer that talks about these uh, either references the end of the age or references the prophecies of Jesus, they're all still talking about these things have not yet been fulfilled. And we could, so, we could wade into the proverbial weeds even deeper. Believe me, Father Dave is, is very capable of, of, of wading deep into the theological weeds. But let's suffice it to say this, is that we are living in a time where I believe that we are seeing a, a rise, the rise of a very dangerous apostate church movement. People who claim historically that they are the church, that they have sacred scripture, and their interpretations of it justify certain things that were never justified, never advocated for by the early church. And so more than ever, we need to know what the early church believed, because if they believed by consensus of majority— that is, the church of the, the end of the first and the beginning of the second century believe something is a majority of consensus among them. Why don't we believe it? Because as well, Father Dave yeah. said, they were the direct, they were the direct appointees and intimates of the apostles. Real quick, let's wrap this up and move move yeah. on to the next slide. Well, let me just say, let me just say this too. It's like, you know. We, we all have to we all have to decide who we are going to trust and who we are going to listen to. Yes. Um, a lot of reformed guys, they love R.C. Sproul and they follow his writings. R.C. Sproul lived and died. He, li he was born in the 20th century. I think he lived. I think he died a little bit after, I mean, 2010 or something. I don't know exactly when he died. But why would we why would we trust a, a Christian theologian scholar who lives 2,000 years after the fact, over and against those that knew the Apostle John personally and or were his, maybe his spiritual grandson, like, like Irenaeus of Lyon. Yes, uh, yes. So that's, that's, I really think we have an authority issue, and it's important. I, I mean, you know, you asked the question, why is this important? Well, it's important because if the Antichrist, let's just say, I mean, the scripture speaks about a man of sin, the Antichrist, who will deceive, um, you know, the nations, whatever. If he was, if he existed already in the past, um, and he and it was fulfilled, and we're not looking for a future Antichrist figure to come, um, that's very different than if we are. And so, you ask the question, do these, I, you know, can't we just agree to disagree? So what? Some people believe this, other people believe that. But this is actually a doctrine and, and an understanding that is going to be devastating for people that actually don't believe yeah. that there is going to come future problems okay. or a tribulation. That That's going to be a devastating um, impact. Let's hold that because that's our final question, the yeah. discussion today. Today, we're looking at a slide that says four ways to read Revelation. This is a slide that Father Dave prepared, and um, we're, we're going to talk about four views of 
interpreting the book of Revelation, how the, the book of Revelation is interpreted. Um, and just very briefly, um, take us very lightly into the weeds so we can get out and get into yep. this discussion that you began here a few uh, about a minute ago. Okay, so, you know, the book of Revelation, obviously, um, is very, there's so much symbolic language in it. There's so many, you know, it's, 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 it's got all these images. And to be honest, it has, it has been, um, it's been a struggle for the church to, to interpret and to deal with the book of Revelation. I was just recently reading some um, commentary by Eastern Orthodox. The Eastern Orthodox, um, they, they treat Revelation very interestingly. They view it as canonical scripture, but they do not ever read it in church and they don't teach from it. They're like, we believe it's inspired, but because of how it's been so interpreted throughout the history of the church, especially in the in the early centuries of the church, there was a lot of speculative writings that 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 people came up with. They basically said, okay, we're just never going to deal with it. And right? I know I know the early church, when I say the early church, yeah. the church of the 200s, 300s, 400s, is they they certainly found inspiration for worship in the book yeah. of Revelation. But let's get into the, uh, yeah. the very briefly, the four views of yeah. uh, interpreting Revelation. Begin, begin with the preterist view. So again, a, a preterist would take the book of Revelation in the same way he takes Matthew 24. He would say all of Revelation. Um, now, a, a full preterist would say the entire book of Revelation was fulfilled in the first century, but a partial preterist would say everything in the book of Revelation up until chapter 20 was fulfilled in the first century um, AD. So we are not reading and interpreting the book of Revelation today as a document that is speaking about the future, but it is a document that is speaking about the very beginning of church history, and it was fulfilled largely in the first century. A futurist, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Did you have a comment on that? No, I was just moving it yeah. just for time. <laughs> yeah. So a futurist, again, would say that um, at some point in the future, we are going to see um, the the fulfillment of the main events that are covered in the book of Revelation. And then a historicist would be looking for a revelation to be filled all throughout the history of the church and in types and forms. Again, so... Um, I think that, you know, I have to say that the the historicist view has a value of wherever we happen to be on on the timeline, for example, wherever we happen to be, they're always looking that the book of Revelation is relevant and applicable to us. If you're a preterist and you're thinking it's all in the ancient past, well, it's interesting for historical study, but it doesn't really have any any. Um, practical, ongoing application for us today. A futurist is maybe, uh, you know, a pure futurist is 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 looking way off into the future at some time. And the historicist would say, hey, what can I learn today about how to stand in the midst of trial and tribulation? And so the historicist would say that the book of Revelation has been applicable since day one. 
and it will be applicable until the very end. All and right. I, 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 I won't that, talk. Yeah, go ahead. I think that you have a hybrid position as yeah. I do too, that, that uh, regarding Luke, uh, Luke 21's uh, the discourse in Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13, when you, when you fuse those together, when you merge those together, you get a picture that some of the prophecies that Jesus gave were of the 70 AD event, and then some of them were to be extended into the future. Yep. And, and that in some cases with all biblical prophecy is that we see dual fulfillment and um, hopefully we'll have some time to get into um, millennialism and maybe we can we can get into that but let's move into our discussion question is that father dave you you being in southern california which is kind of uh bible belt central in the west here and and uh still still feeling the warm coals of the jesus revolution why the shift of some young evangelicals and neo-charismatics to preterism and what are some of the dangers of this? Well, I, I think that uh, a term that I did, it's not its not unique to me. I, it's actually a, a, a term I, I take from Johnny Enlow, who I mentioned um, earlier is this prophetic voice who is articulating a partial preterist view, um, is that there is, has always been um, when times get difficult, and this is true throughout church history, but people begin to look and say, oh my goodness, we're now in that hour. You know, we're in that hour that Jesus spoke about um, in, in Matthew 24. And clearly you can see there's been many dress rehearsals throughout church history where Christians have gotten into a you know, a frenzy and and like, oh, are we at the end of, are we at the very end of the age? And if anybody that knows history well enough knows that there's been some very dark chapters in the history of the church. Uh, I would say, and I'll, I'll mention it again, that, that when Islam as a religion, as a false religion came out of Arabia and took over most of the known world, uh, displaced um, and completely, you know, gutted much of the church, all the church across North Africa, much of the church in the Middle East, the church in Persia, uh, Central Asia. I mean, it clearly was, you know, th those those centuries. It wasn't just, you know, a hundred or two hundred years, but Islam's expansion um, was hundreds of years, and clearly there were many who thought this must be. Um, the end, you know, and so, um, and then fast forward to this century or last century, the 20th, 20th century, you have world wars, you have nuclear weapons, you have, you know, the rise of communism, you have the Cold War, uh, you know, and clearly um, there was a, a fervor that, oh my goodness, we must really be at the end of the age. And so a lot of that eschatology, that end time theology that was that was being, um, you know, really written about and movies were made and The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey was a bestseller. Um, a Thief in the Night was this film that came out about the rapture. And, you know, people yeah. really were 
many, many Christians were convinced that what was going on in the 1960s and into the 70s was going to be, um, it was it, it was in game. You know, it was, we have nuclear, we have nuclear holocaust uh, on the horizon. You know, it's it's Russia and America, so, and all of it, right? So and just so, to, just to yeah. summarize um, that you think part of this is, uh, uh, a disappointment with the perspective of a previous generation. What about what do you sense that any of this has to do with being cool? Um, I I sense in again, uh, I love you. I love you whether you're a futurist, historicist, or preterist. I love you in the name of Jesus. But forgive me if you feel insulted if you're listening to this, but I think some of the young evangelicals and neo-charismatics is that they tend to chase being cool and is this is this preterism kind of like it's cool because we're tweaking the nose of mom and dad well i i think it could be that but almost every guy i know and i'm just thinking of um all millennial preterist scholars that that i know um academics who are in this camp and there's many of them um they most of them would say when i was younger i was i was naively in that left behind uh end time fervor camp but i kind of grew up and i got more sophisticated and i graduated onto a a more palatable a more um scholastic a more mature outlook which is also can be quite positive and it's not as pessimistic it's not like it's all going to burn we're going to get raptured the end of the age the antichrist is he's probably already on the scene we just don't know who he is yet and all of this fear and anxiety that 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 was being kind of fanned by this imminent end times eschatology um you know that was that was so prevalent in the 1970s and a lot of those, a lot of the, the young evangelicals and what you're calling neo-charismatics are being influenced by these types of voices who are saying, I used to believe all that, but I grew up and I'm now with kind of mainline scholarship and uh, we have, we're, we've got a more mature view. And so it, to be honest, there's actually an arrogance there's a pride with the amillennialist preterist viewpoint because and we, if I could just we, if I could just interject there is that yeah. we're going to wrap this uh, part one up and um, hopefully sometime in the near future Father Dave and I will uh, reengage on the topic of premillennialism, amillennialism, and who knows maybe we will even wander into the weeds of postmillennialism, but. But why are why, in your opinion, are there dangers in teaching preterism? You began to sort of elaborate on that. Is that you're going to be yeah. taken by surprise and shock when you see the rise of the Antichrist and yeah. and severe persecution of the church? Well, I I think that if people do not realize the dynamics of that hour, and the dominant characteristic of that hour will be deception. Persecution has happened, but the dominant 
um, you know, and 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 somebody has actually done a study on this and said that Jesus spoke and the apostles spoke like something like seven times more of their warnings were about deception at the end of the age over even and against persecution, tribulation. Now, clearly that's a dominant theme. So I'm concerned that the preterist viewpoint actually sets people up to be deceived because you don't actually believe that there will be a future great tribulation. Yes, there's tribulations. There's always been problems, you know, but a great tribulation that Jesus says will be like nothing that has ever occurred from the beginning of time, even until the end of the age, it will be the greatest. And this man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the so-called antichrist, the one, there is an identified individual. Um, and all of this, if you believe that all of that happened in the ancient past, you're not going to be prepared. Um, you will be caught unprepared. So I believe that preterism is dangerous. And I might just I might just interject with saying that we could speculate on what that deception is, but I think that we would probably agree that a major part of that uh, deception will be doctrinal deception. Absolutely, absolutely. I, that's I, why I, it's that's why it's important. We know what the early church fathers taught about sacred scripture, um, rather than just. Uh, I interpret my own scripture with my proof text. Yeah, and and the thing about the early church is that every single one of them had the the essential narrative that we're talking about that there is a future coming great tribulation, that there's a future coming antichrist, and that all of this is what will happen before Jesus returns, the second coming that we've all confessed. There's a lot of details that we can dot I's and cross T's differently, but I'm talking about what the consensus, what the universal view was about these, about the general, or we could even call it a meta-narrative, um, in terms of the events that are going to characterize that time right before Jesus returns. Now, Bishop John, I know that you and I, we might have a different viewpoint as to what hour we're in. like. I think, I, I mean, just in our interactions, I think that you might believe that we're closer. I still believe that that the perilous times that Paul writes about, the perilous times, are still yet out in the future to some, and I don't know how far. I mean, you know, the scripture says no one knows the day or the hour. I, I, I still am personally convicted that there are some things prophetically that God is going to do that the prophetic scriptures speak about that have yet to be fulfilled um, before the final events of the end of the age occur. Now, if, if those events are upon us and they start to happen imminently, you know, let's just say whatever, the great tribulation, let's just say it, it starts next week. Um, you know, if you're a preterist, you are unprepared for that because you don't actually believe that there's a coming great tribulation. We might differ 
Bishop John, you and I on the timing of when this begins, you know, I mean, many Christians have thought throughout church history, we're in that hour now. And it's obviously pure, it's pure speculation. It's, at, yeah. it's pure speculation, but your point is well taken just for the sake of time and for um, just concluding our podcast. Again, if folks want to get a hold of you, Father Dave, and uh, for for any reason, uh, Father Dave has a wonderful itinerant ministry. He's available as a guest speaker at, at your church or your ministry. Um, if you want to contact him, how can they contact you? You know, the best way to get a hold of us is through one of our, either our pod, our podcast, or or a blog, which is Joel Number Two Generation. The podcast is at Podomatic.com. The blog is blogspot.com so it's easy to find you google it but you know um i would i would just say you know bishop john that it is important that we are in we are aligning ourselves with the apostolic faith you know i mean i know that you and i have a similar journey that into ancient christianity as what what should i say are they not like the sidelines that keep us on the playing field or or the banks of a river that keep a river from overflowing into crazy doctrines and speculations? And I, I dare say that you and I both, having come out of charismatic renewal and still are, are, are charismatics and believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, it, it's, it is refreshing to know that whatever revelation I might get, whatever prophetic word I might get, whatever insight into scripture, that I'm not going to be getting some kind of a new insight that's never been, you know, articulated or 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 you know, or taught that was handed on to the church. Yes. You know, I dare say that my preterist friends, you 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 distrust the early church fathers, you trust later theologians and writers but i don't understand that because they're the ones that gave us our scripture they're the ones that gave us and articulated the canon they're the ones that articulated the doctrine of the trinity they're the ones that hammered out the creeds that we consider to be the you know the standards of orthodoxy why would we not also believe that what they believed and said about the end of the age and the future is also not a reliable and accurate narrative as to how we handle the scriptures. With so that, with that, I we're going to conclude. That's a wonderful place to conclude. And that is a great question um, that could take us further out in the weeds of, <laughs> of, of current. Uh, let, current let, me, let, let me just in closing, I, it's very interesting. I'm going to show a book. Um, the title of the book is rediscovered early church premillennialism teachings of the earliest church fathers on prophecy by a guy named robert franklin now this is a book this is a book that i've just gotten of course the title sold me on it as i was i've been teaching on eschatology and so i found this book but it's interesting because here's a guy he's a dallas theological seminary guy and he is basically in agreement with everything that we've just discussed in terms of critiquing preterism and 
its rise in the church today. So I just wanted to throw that book title out there. I know that I did not have this book when we discussed this matter before, but I think it's it's worth it's worth um, people taking a look at. All right. Well, to conclude the podcast, uh, again, you've been listening to Father John Ahmet at the Hope on the Way podcast, hopeontheway.info, and Father Dave Hess at uh, the Joel 2, Joel 2 Generation podcast. And uh, Father Dave, could you give us a blessing and we'll end with that? Yes. Lord, I would bless each and every listener, each and every person who is watching this podcast today. I would bless them with your peace and your power and your narrative, God. I thank you that we are a church that walks in power and glory, that even in the midst of the tribulations and the trials that I believe your scripture tells us will characterize ongoing generations and or the final generation, that God, we are those who are led by the Spirit. We, we are those that have are carrying the apostolic faith, and we will be those who endure until the end. We will be faithful until he comes. We will occupy until he comes. And so I bless each and every listener here in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Dave.